Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio R. This is your host, Paul Metzo. The weather is getting warmer. Daylight savings time is right around the corner, and I hope tonight's episode finds you all healthy and happy. As many of my regular listeners know, I moved to Duluth, Minnesota in July of 2021. And while I miss taping these shows in the basement of AM 950 in Eden Prairie, which is neither Eden nor Prairie, through the magic of the interwebs, we're able to continue. A couple of weeks ago, I ran across a story that is something you'd think you'd see on NBC Dateline. It involves a mysterious Mr. O, who claims to be worth over $11 billion, runs over 48 profitable businesses, and owns 150 square miles of land, mostly oceanfront and beachfront property. He has been advising the mayor of two harbors, we call it a couple of harbors where I come from in the Iron Range, on a 400-room underwater hotel that it turns out Mr. O is actually a lifelong con artist with several stints in jail. Our guest tonight, Mr. John Ramos, is a longtime investigative reporter in Duluth, Minnesota, and runs a great website called Duluth Monitor at DuluthMonitor.com. Com. We will get the backstory on Mr. O, but first we're going to say hi to Mr. Ramos, get his history, and then find out more about this mind-boggling story. John Ramos, thanks for taking time to speak with us on the Wall of Power Radio Hour tonight. Yeah, hi, Paul. Thanks a lot for having me. So what? Uh, you're a longtime investigative reporter. When did you start getting into the muck-raking trade? Well, it uh, built up over time. I moved to Duluth in 1998 from Michigan and started writing basically opinion columns for the local alternative press. And that just continued on through the present day. Um, I, I uh, gradually found myself finding bigger and bigger stories and uh, having, uh, having more of a talent than I had expected for digging up investigative articles. And so I, I, I ran a couple of blogs and papers myself uh the cheerleader i ran for a couple of years back in the early 2000s um i worked for the duluth reader up in duluth here for um four or five years and then in 2019 i started the duluth monitor to focus only on what i wanted to write about well i was introduced to you by our mutual friend bob boone who publishes the duluth reader which I believe has been in business for close to 30 years, and he describes you as one of the best reporters he's ever had. Oh, well, that's nice of Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw him last night. He also runs the West Theater in Duluth, and I saw my hero and buddy, Yorm Kalkinen. Great show. Go to the West, support Bob, and uh, it's one of the nicest venues in Minnesota. So, John... Where did you uh, Where did you go to college? Where did you learn how to write so well? Uh, well, those are two separate questions. I went to college in at the University of Michigan. Um, my degree is in natural resources management. I had initially been looking into a career with maybe the DNR or the Forest Service, um, and that never went anywhere. And I've always I've always wrote. I was always a writer, 
with no I don't have any formal training in it, but I always wrote and um and and then that led into investigating and uh and now we're here with these stories that are just getting bigger and bigger, so so what uh who are some of your heroes or inspirations? Uh Woodward and Bernstein perhaps, or who else might those uh journalists well, be I, that I, I sort of, I'm a sort of a writer first and a reporter second. Um, some of my biggest influences as a writer are Joyce Carol Oates, um, Lan O'Brien, uh, Cormac McCarthy, uh, while well, his earlier stuff, especially the novel Sutri. Um, and then journalistically, I don't have a lot of people that I, I that are I would call heroes. I like. I like some commentators. I like Thomas Frank's Frank's work, especially. He's great. Um, growing up, I like Mike Reiko a lot too. Reiko was the best. Uh, yeah. Would have loved to have a martini with he and Studs Terkel, but uh, that's my magical history that I could never go back to. So, you tell us some. Uh, tell us about some of your earliest muckraking stories. Sure. Um, one of the the earliest ones and one of the biggest ones here in Duluth involved the Duluth Public Library. The, the Duluth Library was built in 1970 by modernist architect Gunnar Burkert, and it, it's always generated strong feelings in people. Some people love it the way it looks, and other people hate it and say it looks like a spaceship, which I can certainly see. Um, so in any case... In uh, 2015, the mayor of Duluth, Don Ness, commissioned a study to look at the condition of the library. And what that study found was the library was in absolutely terrible shape, and it would cost $31 million to fix it up. Uh, but there was another option. You could, If we spent $35 million, we could have a fully brand-new library. So given those numbers everybody immediately said, let's have a new library and we'll just tear down this old one. So it was going along that way. Um, but this was one of the first times I had ever used the Data Practices Act to get internal city emails. And so I got these emails relating to this project and I found that they, the mayor, right from the beginning, even before the contract was awarded, had been working hand-in-hand hand with the consultants to come up with numbers that would make it almost inevitable that we needed a new library. So these numbers were suspect right from the beginning. And so I published, and they were also worried about my reporting on it, which was revealed in these emails. They were discussing tactics to get around me and to get their, you know, their story out first in the News Tribune, which is another thing. The News Tribune just was doing whatever the, whatever the city wanted them to do. They published an article called Trust the Experts, Move Forward with Planning. And so as soon as I published my story about this, all planning stopped and it's gone. It has never it has never resumed. I have found article I have published articles since then showing that just how bad those numbers were. The people the, the consultants really had no idea about systems, um, building systems, and they were just it's really making things up. So I guess that that would be my early my early success story. So John Ramos, so how did the project come to a, a halt? The library project? Yes. Um yeah, it just the mayor just 
called a halt to planning. He said, we need more community input. And then it never reappeared. Um, I did find that the planning had gone even much farther than anybody had expected. A couple of years later, I turned up that they had actual drawings of a new library on a preferred site downtown um, that the mayor had been in preliminary negotiations with the landowner to actually buy that uh, at the time. Um, but yeah, once my article came out, he just called a halt to planning and it's never, never come back. Is any of that illegal? Um, nothing I turned shady. up would. No, I don't think it's illegal. Um, it, when people find out they're being played, they, they certainly don't like that from an ethical standpoint. I don't think there's anything illegal about it. And in uh, uh, full disclosure, Don, this is a bit of a friend of mine, and I've always respected him. So I'm not going to pass judgment either way on this. Now, did these articles about the library, John Ramos, appear in the uh, Duluth Reader? That's right. Okay. Um, well, this is all fascinating stuff. Uh, before we come to the end of this segment on the Wall and Power Radio Hour, John, tell us about on the uh, homepage for DuluthMonitor.com, you talk about 100 years ago, how many newspapers there were actually in the city of Duluth. Let's talk about that and the dearth of newspapers and reporters in 2022. Well, right. I mean, I don't know exactly how many there were. I don't recall, but I, just to look at the way newspapers used to be compared to the way newspapers are today, it's, it's an enormous difference. You could pick up one newspaper 100 years ago, and that one newspaper would have more information in it than all the newspapers in town today plus all the tv stations plus all the radio stations it was just packed wall to wall with information and then so and there was more than one paper so oftentimes each party would have their own paper there would be general interest papers there would be labor papers papers everywhere and um, and nowadays there there's hardly any they take up as much space as they can with photos um the the reporter the job of a reporter nowadays is a, is a basically a low paid position and there's not many people new people coming into it there's just an absolute dearth of information which is one reason I started the monitor I started go I, I go to city meetings and there's nobody there and so I was like this is basically an untapped resource for a for a reporter all you have to do is report on meetings and you're giving people new information so that was and, that was one John, I have to give you credit. When I was uh, uh, in high school, I used to be a DJ at WHLB in Virginia, Minnesota. Uh, it was a great little station, although some people referred to WHLB as We Have Lousy Broadcasting. But actually, it wasn't. And it was actually the uh, starting point for longtime uh, TV uh, personality, Dennis Anderson, who's also a Virginia, Minnesota native. And I look forward to bumping into Dennis here soon. We've got John Ramos on the show on the Wall of Power Radio Hour all night tonight. And we are going to jump into, right after the break, a juicy story about the mysterious Mr. Paul. I sell the morning paper, sir. My name is Jimmy Brown. Everybody knows that I'm a newsboy of the town. You can hear me yelling, morning star, running on the street. Got no hat 
have all my head no shoes on my feet. Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. We've got a great guest on for the whole show tonight. Mr. John Ramos is an investigative reporter based in Duluth, Minnesota, and he's got a great web newspaper called Duluth Monitor at DuluthMonitor.com. John, I read uh, uh, our mutual friend Duke Scorch, who is another uh, radio and TV guy, uh, based in Duluth, originally from the Iron Range. God bless him. Hit me to your story about the mysterious Mr. O. And I'm not even going to bother to get into explain it. Let's come from the horse's mouth. Tell us about Mr. O, Two Harbors, the uh, uh, Tall Ships, and the Underwater Hotel. Take it away, John Ramos. Okay. Well, at the monitor, I actually came to this story a little late. Um, I had been seeing stories appearing in the Duluth News Tribune that the mayor of Two Harbors was consulting with the mysterious billionaire, Mr. O. And as a result of those consultations, the mayor had come up with this idea that he wanted to build a $400 million underwater hotel in Two Harbors, complete with submarine rides and helipads and Anything you can think of. Um, so that was one element of it. Then there was other elements of it. They, the mayor had been pushing the city council to bring the Festival of Sales to the city. And then it turned out that the Festival of Sales was contracting with a company owned and operated by the mayor's daughter. Um, so there was that. And then there was a third thing where he had been quoted in the Duluth News, or sorry, in the uh, New York Times as saying that he wanted to convert the town of Two Harbors to cryptocurrency. And all of these things put together sounded intriguing enough that I decided to look into it. So I, I thought that at that time that the News Tribune was doing a pretty good job of staying on top of the story in general. So I decided that I was going to focus on figuring out who this mysterious anonymous billionaire Mr. O was. So, and what what did you find out, John Ramos? <laughs> well, I may be talking for a bit. Mr. O he, he runs he is on a weekly podcast that's called Ask a Billionaire. This weekly podcast is produced by a company called Enigma Mastery Group based out of Las Vegas, Nevada. 
And on the show, the host, a guy named John Lee, he takes questions from people who are listening and asks Mr. They ask these questions to Mr. O, and Mr. O provides his answers from the perspective of a billionaire. These are generally entrepreneurs, supposedly entrepreneurs calling in, although it's pretty obvious that, to me anyway, that they just often invent their own questions to ask themselves. Sure. Anyhow, so, um, yeah, so to start out, I listened to a lot of these podcasts, probably a dozen or more, and it was just excruciating to me. It just gave me a headache. The Mr. O is the mo- one of the most unlikable people you can ever imagine. He, he loves poop jokes. He loves talking about boogers, all this stuff. It, it's just it's just excruciating. And, and he's always dropping these, these comments about his massive wealth, about his fleet of Rolls Royces, how he knows Warren, uh, Warren Buffett, uh, and all, all this st- stuff. Um, so I listened to about a dozen, and I just, then that was enough. I couldn't take it anymore. And so I found a video online. They have a few videos that they produced, um, and one of them is called, or it's about the origins of Mr. O. It's Mr. O talking about himself, and he shows various documentation on the on the screen proving how awesome he is. He shows some letters from high high ranking senators inviting him to have dinner with Ronald Reagan and other presidents, and then he shows a bunch of testimonials from people throughout the years who have written him letters saying how much he's changed them and how much he's helped them, um, things like that. And this video is what was the basis for me figuring out who, who he was. Now, all these documents that he posted on this video, he had redacted identifying information from them, um, his name, address, and so on. Um, but you could read the rest of it. You could read the rest of these letters. Um, and so I had a lot of, there was a lot of starting information for me to work with. And, I, and this was really something that puzzled me throughout. For a guy who's total, whose whole, whose whole scheme depends on being anonymous, he really puts out a lot of information, a lot of clues. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I started with those government letters. I thought one of them was inviting him, Mr. O, to be on the Re- Republican Senatorial Task Force or something like that. I, something like that. So I thought, well, okay, I'll search for this. Maybe I can find a membership list. What I found was this was just a fundraising letter. This was anybody who donated $1,000 to any Republican candidate could be on the senatorial task force. This was from back in 1989. So that, that letter was not a personal letter to Mr. O inviting him to have dinner with Ronald Reagan. It was a mass-produced fundraising letter that... Anybody who made that $1,000 donation could go to a place and have a dinner, and Reagan would give a brief speech at that dinner. And I, I think there was around 2,000 people that actually did that at that time. Um, and another one of those letters, governmental letters, was another fundraising ploy from the same era where asking for a $120 donation. And when I searched up that on newspapers.com, I found multiple political commentators mocking that exact letter from 1989 that Mr. O was holding up as proof of his, of his great connections with the national government. So that was complete, all that, all those government letters completely bogus. Mm -hmm. 
So I couldn't, but they didn't help me find out who he was. So I then went to those to the next to the testimonial letters from different people, and one of those testimonial letters was from a guy who ran the manager of the Wynwood Mall in Odessa, Texas, in 1977, was thanking Mr. O for a series of motivational talks that he had given at the Wynwood Mall in late 1977. So I searched for, I searched the Odessa papers for motivational talks at, at the mall. I found some. Um, they, they were what you might expect motivational talks come you know come here learn how to be your best self master self-confidence and so on they didn't have they didn't say a name of anybody they had a there was a phone number involved though so i took that phone number i searched further i found that phone number associated with other ads um advertising the services of a company called hancock and associates and then when i searched for hancock and associates i found it was a publicity company located in Odessa, Texas at that time. And I found a picture of a guy, Dan Hancock, um, cutting a ribbon for his new, for his new um, business. So, okay, I, I got that far. That's not really ironclad proof, though. Uh, other people could have given motivational talks at the time. There's a lot of, you know, it's something, but it's not proof. So then I went to look in that video some more, and he had posted a partial shot of a newspaper article which had been written about him in the Las Vegas, in a Las Vegas paper. I didn't know which one at the time. And it was talking about how he was using his past criminal history to help businesses catch criminals. Huh. And I should point out that in his origin video, he admits at the front that he... When he was a young person in his 20s, he spent time in prison for felonies related to stolen property. So I looked at this part of an article. I could see the headline was to catch a thief. Um, and I could see a part of a date, May 20th. So I just Googled that and I found that May, it was Sunday, May 20th. Googled that, found that May 20th fell on a Sunday in you know different years, 1979 and 1984 based on the hairstyles of the people in this article. He had cut out their faces, <laughs> but you could still see their hair. So I figured it would probably right. be 1979 or 84. So I called the Las Vegas Public Library, um, gave the guy my whole spiel about this article I was looking for, and he turned it up right away. Uh, article written in the Las Vegas Review Journal, May 20th, 1984, to catch a thief. And it was all about the bit new business that this guy had started and his name was Dan Victor Hancock. And so wow. I nailed him there. I was, that, that, that was how I figured out who he was. That must have been really exciting for you. Yeah. Well, as I describe in the article, I ran around the house whooping, startling the cat. <laughs> <laughs> this is such an incredible story. How did... Then, if uh, before we, we, we get in a little more Mr. O's background, how did the mayor, Chris Swanson of Two Harbors, hook up with the mysterious Mr. O? I don't know how he hooked up with him, um, but he apparently was paying the guy, was consulting with him to, to get 
access to this billionaire perspective, which he seemed to think was really, really valuable. Um, Mayor Swanson was a, often called into the show, and he was actually a guest on, on that Ask a Billionaire podcast. Um, and he was, he was very complimentary of Mr. O. Um, he was saying that I was so surprised that you're only charging me what you charged me because for services like this, I would have expected to pay much more. Sadly, he didn't say what he was paying, but he, he was clearly paying him something. Um, and he just, he just seemed to think the guy had a lot to offer. Okay, John, if you can remember, just jump right back in and give us another minute or two about uh, end up what you were just talking about with Mayor Swanson. Um, well, yeah, I mean, he, he thought Mr. O was a fantastic person with a lot to offer him. And he had been in consultations with Mr. O, and it's, it seems that the idea for the underwater hotel probably came from Mr. O himself. Wow. Tell us about what that hotel was going to be exactly. That This is the mind blower here for me. One of well, them. It, it, it's hard to tell what it was going to be. If you listen to Mr. O for a while, he just, he, he comes up with these massive ideas and, you know, they're just, just ridiculous to me. Um, but yeah, it was supposed to be this built in Lake Superior in one of the, one of the two harbors in two harbors where people could stay in their room with the glass walls and watch the fishes swim by. Um, and Mayor Swanson was all in on this. He was talking about how he could probably get, he's a mayor, so he could get state bonding money to help build this, and they could maybe have a fish hatchery in conjunction with it. And he, he, was, he was being a big thinker right along with Mr. O on this one. We've got John Ramos, muckraker, investigative reporter. One more, uh, on one more set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Uh, we're going to... Uh, have a few uh, commercials, a little music, and get back and get a little more into the mystery of the mysterious Mr. Wall. Welcome back to the last set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest all night tonight, we're happy to have investigative reporter. Runs a website called the Duluth Monitor. Uh, check it out at DuluthMonitor.com, Mr. John Ramos. So, John, this Mr. O has an incredible criminal history. Let's talk about 
some of the things he's done time for in jail over the years. There's more than one. Yeah, sure. So once I found out who he was, then it becomes a lot easier to find out what he's done. And as he says in his video, he did serve time in his 20s for burglary. Um, he and his brother and several others, there was a, a raid in, in Denver, Colorado in 19, 1974. There was a raid involving several police agencies on what they called the biggest burglary and fencing ring at the time. Um, and then Victor Hancock, his brother Anthony, a couple others were, all, were arrested on that. Um, Anthony ended up going to jail for quite some time on that. Now, Dan Victor Hancock did not go to jail on that instance, but he was later, he was convicted that same year for robbing a ranger station in Colorado National Park, or Rocky Mountain National Park. And then he was convicted for five years on that. And then while he was serving time, he was then convicted for an earlier burglary where he and a couple of others had found a mobile home stranded on the interstate and they had burglarized that and the FBI arrested them for that one. So then while in jail, he was then convicted of that other burglary and had a few more years added on to his sentence. Um, now those are probably, those are the only times they turned up where he actually was in jail. Later he would, he seemed to like bragging about being a criminal in the past and he would talk about that he had been in jail for white collar crimes and I could never, I wasn't able to verify that he ever was, although he did then later get involved in a lot of what you would call white collars fraud and scams um, in Las Vegas. So, John, did you try to reach out to Mr. Hancock or any of his associates? Oh, yeah, many, many times. Um, and so Dan Hancock, or as they call him, Mr. O, he, uh, he, he has this podcast. And then once the the Duluth News Tribune, once they started reporting on him, he'd go on these rants on his podcast about yellow journalism. And then once my stories came out, he his rants got a little worse. Um, yeah, so I, I still listen to I tune into the podcast and I listen to it. I just listened to one last night. I ask questions um, in the chat, which they ignore and never answer. But they, he's always talking about how he's going to start. And he, I should say, even though he's exposed by me, he... Uh, and others know he, he still pretends he's a billionaire and the Enigma website still advertises these podcasts as him being a billionaire. So he's talking so about he's going to use these hundreds of millions of dollars to start a company that produces real news. And we're going to drive all these yellow journalists out of business. So <laughs> I ask him wow. questions about that in the chat. Yeah. So, but he doesn't, he's never responded to me. No. Wow. Sounds like uh, Donald Trump's new social media outlet, Truth. Uh, yeah, George yeah, Orwell, exactly. of course, George Orwell, of course, is spinning in his grave. Tell our uh, listeners out there in the Wall of Power Radio, our AM nine fifty Radio Land, if people want to listen to some of these podcasts, where would they go? How they, how can they track them down? Uh, it's pretty easy. The Enigma Mastery Group dot com. Um, there, there's a link to the podcast. I think there's thirty of them up right now. Wow. So now what is the latest then with Mayor Chris Swanson of Two Harbors after all of this information about his uh, confidant and advisor, Mr. O, how is he responding to that? Well, he's, he's not responding well. He, he refuses to talk to anybody in the media. Um, 
And then, so the the state auditor has launched an investigation into Chris Swanson and his many, many businesses in Two Harbors. Um, that's ongoing. And so since it was started a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, we haven't heard anything on that. And just a couple of days ago, now I've been working on some more follow-up stories on the mayor and I've uncovered um, that the mayor, while being mayor, was under contract. His company called Garage Starts was under contract with this nonprofit known as Friends of the Banshell Park. The nonprofit is engaged in trying to save a historic banshell in one of the city parks. Um, and they hired the mayor's company, Garage Starts, to help them with fundraising. And the mayor, then, in his capacity as mayor, has been sending out or was sending out fundraising letters soliciting donations to this group without disclosing that he was under contract with them. He asked one guy for $100,000 and then turned around and charged the Banchel group five hours at $65 an hour for that service. <laughs> it's incredible. So how does, uh, how does the, what I refer to as the tall ships, when I'm seeing these beautiful old tall ships with these beautiful masts and wooden boats, come into, uh, they had been coming into Duluth for years and years. Is that still going to be ongoing? Is that still going to end up in two harbors? At this point, yes, it is. Um, So, right, it has historically been in Duluth for the last many years, but Duluth is doing work on their waterfront construction work, so it's infeasible, unfeasible this year, So, which is why they moved to two harbors. And yes, after all this came out, um, the city council was looking to to sever their relationship with the Festival of Sale due to Mayor Swanson's conflict of interest. But the Festival of Sale themselves cut off all contact with the mayor's company. And now the uh, organizer of that, Craig Samborski, actually spoke at the most recent council meeting and he assured them that he himself was going to run the entire event in all aspects. There would be no third-party companies assisting him. And so, and he would accept all liability. And so the council seems like they're going to go along with that. So at this point, yes, that will still be happening. But there won't be any underwater hotels to stay in if people go up to two harbors to see yeah, the as tall far ships. As we know, <laughs> there, yeah, to be. Oh, my goodness gracious. Now, John Ramos, I really applaud you for spending so much time and energy and effort to uncover these dastardly deeds up here in the Northland. Do you, can people um, help fund your time and efforts? Uh, Do you have any kind of a PayPal or any sort of funding mechanism at DuluthMonitor.com? Well, I originally, I did start with the Patreon, um, which I, I discontinued about six months ago. I just, I was publishing so irregularly in order to run. I'm not a very good businessman or entrepreneur because uh, I I just publish things as they come to me and as I finish them, which sometimes could lead. Sometimes you wait weeks or even a couple of months between stories, and I just I didn't feel it was fair to ask people on Patreon to support me if I was going to be so erratic in that way. So I just cut that all off, and I, I depend on ad clicks. I get uh, some some amount of money through Google AdSense depending on the traffic the site gets. So really the only way and the best way people can 
support me is by going to the website, reading what's there, sharing it, liking it, and encouraging traffic in in all all ways that that's possible. For all of you out there listening tonight, go to DuluthMonitor.com. He's on Facebook. He's online. Support John Ramos, great muckraker. John, can you... Uh, uh, do you know what you're working on in the future? Can you give us any look into the crystal ball and tell us, or, or does it just you stumble on these things as you stumble on them? Well, I I normally do stumble on things, and I can also give you the crystal ball because uh, let's just say that my work, my stories, two stories that I've done on two harbors so far have been really nothing more than the lever opening up the manhole and. Let me tell you something. There's more on the way. <laughs> this has been the most fascinating conversation. When the Duke Scorch linked to you on his Facebook page uh, to the Duluth Monitor, I couldn't have been more astounded. Like I said at the top of the show, I mean, this is like NBC Dateline material. And the fact that Mr. O is still out there giving advice to whoever seems to need it, Kind of blows my mind. That doesn't blow your mind. It's I I I am so I can't understand it. He he. It's just I don't see the upside in it for him. But if you go to the Enigma website, the ads are still all all up. Get the billionaire's perspective. Um, talk to a billionaire, and then and then on the there's been two or three podcasts since all these stories broke, and he's still pretending he's a billionaire. He's still pitching Enigmas. 13 standards of knowledge that's their that's what they sell some program and then he's still he's still pitching everything and acting like he's a billionaire so i yeah it blows my mind too well it like pt barnum said there's a sucker born every minute yeah. <laughs> john so. this is so so great i uh i look forward to meeting you in person i'm excited to uh, see all your follow-ups on what will be going on with the mysterious Mr. O, uh, the City of Two Harbors, the mayor, the tall ships, everything else coming down the pike. I want to commend you uh, for doing this just out of passion and, and personal interest. It's got to be fun to start taking these layers off the onion, though, isn't it, John? Isn't that kind of part of the... Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's an enorm yeah, enormous personal payoff when I, when I get something, it's just, it's hard to describe. It's, uh, it's what, it, it's why I do it. Ladies and gentlemen, go to DuluthMonitor.com, pitch in, help John, follow him, share it with your friends. He's doing incredible work on here because he's a, a great human being and a, and a American patriot. John, thank you so much for your time tonight. I look forward to meeting you in person and, uh, Keep on this story like a, a dog on a bone. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks. I'll talk. I'll talk to you soon, Johnny. Have a good night. Yeah, Bye. I was born in the wagon of a traveling show. My mama used to dance for the money they'd throw. Mama would do whatever he could. Reach a little gospel. Sell a couple bottles of Doctor